Okay, so today, um, you know, I, I've been dealing with a flare of my pseudotumor cerebri, which I've talked about in the last few, uh, podcasts, and I have been having a hard time sleeping. You know, pain is just, it, it affects you, it affects your sleep, it affects, it affects my way of life. Now, the, not a lot of people really realize or think that pseudotumor cerebri can be deadly. And this is, this morning, um, I once again kind of got hit with that harsh reality um, I was kind of scrolling on Facebook, which I don't go on there a lot, but sometimes in the morning when I'm first waking up, I'll just kind of see like what my memories show up and stuff. And as I opened it, I opened the app, I looked at it, and one of the first things I saw was, it wasn't somebody I knew personally, but it was somebody a friend of mine knew, and or knew about at least, and she... Um, she passed and I don't know to be honest with you if it was directly pseudotumor cerebri or if it was complications from pseudotumor cerebri and what I mean by complications from is like shunt or you know something like that because shunt infections are deadly and um, surgeries are very risky and you know reading that and I kind of go back to the point where my life was completely on the line and and it's very hard to not go to that place when I see that somebody with the same chronic illness and this is not the first person I've seen that has passed I have seen numerous that have passed Um, but it's very hard to not go to that. Well, I've been so close. Am I going to end up there? And I try not to let my mind go there, but I do go back and I, I have some pictures from when I went in their neuro IC2, ICU, sorry, with the external brain drain, um, or external ventricular device which was draining the infection out of my skull my brain area um because my shunt was infected after uh one of my surgeries and i i go back to that that time and i see those pictures and i see you know, the reality of what I've been through and to know that there's people who have died that have been dealing with this same chronic condition is really hard. Um, But I don't want to, you know, I try not to focus on that, you know, because today is today, tomorrow's tomorrow, you know, Um, and 
I, but when I see some of those pictures, it's just <clears throat> of my time in the narrow ICU. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and I'm going to discuss that in this podcast. Um, so July 12th, 2017, I, I was feeling a lot of pain, had a very small fever, not really much of a fever, but I was really exhausted, really, you know, fatigued, not able to do much, just didn't feel right. Pain was worse that day, was getting worse, not better. Um, and I just, I knew there was something wrong. Um, and having just had a surgery not that long ago for it, like literally about two weeks before that, um, I knew that I needed to go to the ER and at least be cleared that it wasn't an infection. However, sadly, it was not cleared that there was not an infection. There was an infection. And as I was in the ambulance to go to the ER, um, I was kind of scared. I was very anxious. I didn't fully know what to expect, preparing for the worst, hoping for the best type mindset I guess um and they didn't yet they took me directly back to a room in the emergency room um they um they did CTs they did a couple of things just to make sure the shunt had not somehow moved or become um come apart at some point because there's like a tubing that goes into the abdomen that's connected to the brain part to my knowledge that's how it works at least and I don't know if they are able to pull apart or not uh, or how they're connected it might actually be the full way but they wanted to make sure that nothing had moved into a dangerous spot um, <clears throat> and due to my symptoms they did like labs and all of that well, while I was sitting there, they had neurosurgery. The resident come and um, check on me, do a do an, ex an exam to try and see what would be the best the best treatment or get a diagnosis as to what was going on. Um, what they ended up doing was they did a shunt tap. And what that means is instead of putting the needle in the spine for like a lumbar puncture to get fluid off, they could actually take it directly off of a bulb that it's called the bulb. It's just like a soft area of the shunt where they can kind of withdraw some fluid to test. And so they did that. And then they had me wait there while they gave me, you know, some anti-nausea, some pain medication, you know, trying to get me kind of comfortable or it wasn't going to be comfortable, but you know, a little less pain, a little more comfortable than I was. Um, <clears throat> when that test came back that my 
infection, my white blood cell count in my spinal fluid was really elevated. When the neurosurgery resident came in to tell me that, I'll tell you right now that that's a moment I won't forget. I was in shock because, and I'm going to tell you the reason I was in shock because me telling you that I thought it could be an infection, some people might think that I wouldn't really feel like a shock. Um, but I was shocked because I was already really emotionally uh, stressed. Um, that summer alone, I, prior to that, had already had two shunt surgeries. Um, <clears throat> so, it is, it was a shock. I was already emotionally stressed. I really didn't know if my body could handle an infection like that. I didn't know if my body could, I didn't know fully what to expect because I had had a few uh, shunt surgeries, but I had not had an infection yet at that time until then. So I didn't fully know what to expect treatment wise. And they told me that I was that because it's neurosurgery and neurosurgeons are very particular with shunts, if they didn't place it, they don't like to do surgery on it. They don't like to touch it. That's just, I don't, I mean, I, there's probably a really good reason for that, but that is exactly what, unless that neurosurgeon who placed it is no longer in the area I've moved or uh, out of the area or retired, like that kind of thing. So I, um, I was taken up to the neuro ICU and I was scared. I was really scared. Um, the next morning, they took me in to surgery. And that just happened to be my birthday. So I spent part of my birthday in surgery, getting my shunt externalized, and then into the neuro ICU. Now, It is really, it's, <clears throat> it was hard to get used to the fact that I have this tube hanging out of my head. Um, and I'm sorry that may sound kind of um, gruesome, but I will tell you right now that chronic illness, there's parts of it that are like that and it's just part of what I deal with. So I, <clears throat> I was frustrated. I literally spent my birthday unable to do anything that anybody would do on their birthday. You know, I wasn't going to be able to go out to eat. I wasn't going to be able to even really relax and kind of chill. I, and yes, I was 
I wasn't doing anything, really. I was stuck in a bed, mostly stuck in a bed. I didn't get up to do to do much of anything other than use the bathroom until um, closer to the end of my stay. Once the infected fluid was starting to clear up, then they were kind of clamping it and allowing me to kind of walk with physical therapy uh, or physical therapy down the hallway and back. They just needed to make sure that I could, you know, handle that being discharged, like I could handle, I was okay to be walking and I didn't need any extra help or anything. And while I, while I laid there in neuro-ICU, you know, on my birthday, I was nauseous. Anesthesia does, I have reactions to anesthesia, um, like severe nausea and vomiting, but they couldn't really have me vomiting because that would mess with the way the fluid drained out of the tubing as in like it pretty much would overdrain because um, vomiting would put so much pressure um, and it was hard it was hard um, it was very hard and to knew to know that I was going to be there for at least two weeks, if not more, but the minimum was two weeks. Um, that was hard. Uh, what they did was the fluid had to come back clear with no infection for, I believe, two or three days in a row before they could discharge me. Now... At that point, I had, after having had two other surgeries already, I had bald spots on my head where they had shaved those areas. At that time, honestly, to me, hair is a material thing. It comes, it goes, it, you, you can change it usually for certain changes pretty easily. You know, it's going to grow back, it's going to all that kind of stuff. And I felt kind of weird having like multiple bald spots on my head. Um, so thankfully I, I did end up being able to completely shave my head. Um, neurosurgery did it before I discharged. However, that does make me a little, it made me a little self-conscious, <clears throat> but not much. Because I was just so tired and fighting this infection that I couldn't really focus on much of anything. I tried. I tried journaling. I tried crocheting. Um, I couldn't really do much of anything else but like play phones, games on my phone or things like that. Because I really didn't, I couldn't do much. Like I said, I can't really get out of the bed much. At least not without, without help. Um, I will tell you that I have had issues with neurosurgery. 
neurosurgeons kind of from the get-go. I ended up going through, I think, four or three neurosurgeons before finally finding one that was willing to do what my neurologist knew needed to be done and place the shunt. So I don't exactly have a great relationship with neurosurgery department, period, never have. Um, so there was a lot of anxiety as to what they were gonna do because they were discussing not, place, not replacing the shunt. And I knew I needed it. However, I also knew that I was inpatient and you know, it would, they can take it out. They can take it out. Um, they can take it out. <clears throat> and that frustrated me because I was concerned as to what, you know, what was going to happen in the future. I was already dealing with some um, drama and stress, family-wise, things like that. And and it, it was really hard. I didn't have a lot of visitors. I had some visitors, but not a lot. And part of the reason why I'm saying not a lot is because I, due to the stress and the drama, I had decided to make myself what that hospital um called a secret patient and that what that means is the only people who can even know that I'm there have to say whatever code word code number whatever I make up I set and they had to say that if they were to call they had to give that information or they couldn't let them know that I was there the neuro ICU doors are locked. They had to get um, buzzed in, but in order to be buzzed in, they had to have the code word. So there were only a few people that I was willing to give those to that to. And there are a lot of reasons for that. So it was hard. Um, I surprised some of the nurses. They uh, had other patients who were not even able to like really like have conversations with them like I could um, in my position. Uh, they couldn't, you know, laugh a little bit or anything like that. And I was able to try and do that. I'm very good at usually hiding my pain. So if I look like I'm in pain, I'm in a lot more pain than you think, you know? And uh, that means it's just so severe I can't hide it. I was on IV medications. I didn't really eat much. I only eat like maybe one meal a day or something. Um, 
and like my mom had brought in uh, the Gatorade that I like because we had to try and keep you know at least my electrolytes I mean yeah they were giving me IV fluids however you know we needed to make sure that I was getting some sort of nutrients that I need needed um and that period of time was extremely difficult for me when it came to the point that I was um, going back into surgery to have it replaced after advocating for myself and making the neurosurgeon um, have the neuro-ophthalmologist come and see me and actually get his opinion on it and my neuro-ophthalmologist was at the time he said she needs this if you don't replace it you're gonna have to have another surgery anyways if you're going in for that just replace it so I had it replaced and Uh, I will tell you one of the residents got in trouble uh, because I asked him to shave my head because it was bothering me to have bald spots. So, when, and they won't, do, they won't do that until you're in the surgical suite where it's all sterile. Um, so he was doing that and the neurosurgeon came in and was not so happy because they don't shave the whole head for like a shunt surgery. And he had said, I guess he had some words with the res resident, which I feel bad for the resident because um, that shouldn't have been on him. But I came out of that surgery and one of the pictures that I have is when I was getting ready to go home. And that resident came in and shaved the part of the head that he was not able to finish um, before. They didn't do like a step down. I was able to go directly home from the neuro ICU. That feeling of getting to go home after being in a neuro ICU for so long. Two weeks is a pretty long time to be in a neuro ICU, in any ICU. Um, it was, there was a relief. There was quite a relief there. Um, however, you know, there's still, there's always that little bit of a fear that it could happen again. And there always will be. I don't have to focus on it. There will always be some sort of a little fear in the back of my mind that I'm going to end up back at that place and or in the neuro ICU I shouldn't say that place I hope I don't end up back there but um you know back in a neuro ICU there's there's a chance and there's also a chance that if that happens that I may not make it out I'm lucky to have made it out there are people who don't. And, you know, I, I went through a 
lot during that time. And honestly, I'm proud of myself for making it through that. I think it's amazing that I was able to do that. Um, but yeah, there will always be that fear of what could have happened or what can happen. Like I said, I don't focus on it. But when I see things like somebody passed from the same chronic illness that I deal with, it hits, it hits hard and it, that harsh reality just, it's like a punch in the gut. Actually, it's probably worse, but it's like a punch in the gut. Um, it's hard. Now, I will get through it. I always do, you know, and I just knew that I had to make a podcast about what's going on in my mind because I will tell you there are probably a lot of chronic illness warriors who may see that somebody who's dealing with their chronic illness has passed and it hits them, it hits them hard. So if that's happened to you or if it's happening to you or it happens to you in the future, just know it's okay, it's normal. At least it is in my opinion. So 